Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the show. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today is Brian Sheffy for a discussion of the research behind the Moses Williams Project. Brian will discuss the numerous repositories and databases accessed in the course of researching the life of Moses. Brian Sheffy has expertise in genetic genealogy, mid-Atlantic and southern genealogical research with an emphasis on the intersection of white, black, and Native American genealogy. He has used his research knowledge to solve cases of unknown parentage from colonial America to the present day utilizing DNA and paper trail evidence. Behind his passion for research lies the the belief that genealogy is an opportunity to connect with Americans from different backgrounds to enable them to connect with each other and make connections around the globe. So let me just give a warm welcome to Brian Sheffy to the show. Welcome, Brian. Thank you so much, Bernice. Thank you for the wonderful and warm introduction, and thank you for inviting me on to Blog Talk Radio. Well, you have a story to tell, and I am looking <laughs> forward to hearing about Moses Williams. So tell us, who is Moses Williams? Moses Williams is my four times great-grandfather, um, three different ways, because uh, we're dealing with endogeny here. So he's, uh, like I said, my four times great-grandfather, three different ways. And my connection to him is through a county called Edgefield in South Carolina. Well, you know I know about Edgefield, South Carolina, right? (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) So tell us, well, how did you discover, because you're talking about your fourth great-grandfather, Three different ways. So how did you discover him? Well, credit for the discovery goes to uh, my co-host on on, on my show, uh, Donnie Williams. She happened to find, we have a three times great-grandfather called Moses Williams, who happens to be my four times great-grandfather's son, but we didn't know that at the time. She came across this 1884 newspaper article about a man called Moses Williams, 
who was associated with Edgefield and Barnwell County in South Carolina, who had lived to be 115, and that had been verified, and that he had had 45 children, 40 daughters, five, five sons, all born in slavery. And we, at first we thought it was our three times great-grandfather, but then we started working out ages and dates, and we realized, well, that can't be him. And then we realized, oh, we actually have his father. And it just kind of really started from there. And uh, Donnie had also found Moses the Elder, written about in this, like, 1920s medical book. And mm-hmm. keep in mind, this is the 1920s, 1920s medical book. Um, the title of it was something about the fecundity of the Negro and the Irish in America. So basically it was a, it was a study about black people in America and Irish Americans who were having a lot of kids. I wish they could have met some of my Quaker ancestors because those people were having double-digit kids, too. But the focus of this particular study was literally just on black people and, and the Irish. And it was kind of a really fascinating study. And it just piqued our interest to find out if there really was a connection between our three-times great-grandfather and the Moses that she had, that she had literally stumbled across. So let me make sure I heard you correctly. You said that Moses Williams lived to be 115 years old, and that he had 45 children, 40 mm-hmm. girls, and five sons. Is that correct? That's correct. He had two, he had two um, enslaved women who were his wives. With the first wife, he had 23 kids. Um, and the, the article was so specific. He didn't name names. But the information they gave was still very useful. They said that his first wife, who we've identified as being a Miss Haygood, she had 23. She had three sons and 20 daughters. And then his second wife, whose name is Mariah Stallworth, she had the remaining kids. So you descend from one of the sons or one of the daughters? And which wife? I... (laughs) So far, well, I do have. Well, we haven't found all of the forty-five children yet. Okay. So that that I have to say, we've we've only found twenty-seven. We found twenty-seven of them. So I descend from a son and a daughter with Miss Haygood, the first wife, and DNA because I carry Stallworth DNA, and the only mm-hmm. way that I can carry that DNA is through Mariah Stallworth. I haven't found my connection directly to her yet, but there is one. <laughs> Okay, so I'm trying to do the math here. If you find an article, there was an article in 1920, and he was 115 years old. That means that he was born around 1790 or 1800? Oh, sorry. So the the newspaper article, that was 1884, and that was actually published about three weeks before he died. So he was born 1765 in Hanover County, Virginia. Okay, so tell us a little about his life in Hanover, if you were able to find any resources to just give us a a profile of what was life for him in, let's say, colonial uh, America, and what did he experience just thinking of when he was born to live to be 115 years old? (laughs) Okay. 
Well, actually, there is one funny thing. Also in the newspaper, it said he looked 15 years younger than his actual age. Oh, so, um, he, wow. he, was carrying his, he was carrying his age very well. We mm-hmm. still have to re- do much more research on his Virginia route. At the moment, we're so concentrated on trying to find his remaining children in South Carolina um, that that's kind of really our, our main uh, focal point. Mm-hmm. But because... Again, this is where DNA and the paper trail becomes very helpful. So we identified who his enslaver was, which was a man called Daniel Williams. Um, Daniel also, you know, he came from Hanover in York County, Virginia, went down to North Carolina where he was in uh, Caswell and Pasquotank. And there's a third place that I can't remember. And then he, uh, Daniel Williams eventually moved to Edgefield. So really... In order to research Moses, we had to research Daniel Williams and his family, which took it all the way back to his immigrant ancestor, really kind of built out the tree on that because we realized we carried Williams' DNA. And come mm-hmm. to find out that Daniel Williams was Moses' father. And it gets even more interesting because Moses' mother was Daniel Williams' enslaved half-sister, meaning that Moses' mother was the sister of Daniel Williams. Wow. So we were able to work all of that out, and blessfully, thank, thank the cosmos for North Carolina's archives and repositories and the, the volume of records that they hold, because uh-huh. we were able to trace the majority of Moses' life once he was actually in North Carolina through a whole series of family deeds. Family deeds, probate records, estate records, um, they, were, they were just invaluable. We even found some of his, some of his siblings in, the, in those deeds. So the fact that they exist, and again, kudos to the state of North Carolina for just digitizing so much of that kind of information and, and making it freely available online for people to access. Um, now, there is a really interesting period in, in Moses' life, which was the Revolutionary War. And remember, he was born 1756. So right. he was very much aware of what was going on. You know, and I like to think, you know, he's hearing all of this talk about freedom and liberation from the British and, you know, all men are create, created equal, and he's enslaved. And he, he must know, even as a child, that that will not pertain to him, that those, those words mm-hmm. weren't meant for him. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, what was happening is by that point, his, his enslaver father, Daniel, was already in Edgefield, but he still had property and family back in North Carolina. So when the British were in North Carolina, the Williams family was running over to Edgefield to get away from the British, and they were taking everything with them, cattle, horses, enslaved people. And when the British started attacking outside of Edgefield and in South Carolina, you see the family running back to North Carolina. And they, they literally did this three or four times. And every time the family moved, there was a new deed. It was like Daniel Williams was making a provision for his enslaved people and property in case anything happened to him because he was, he was a patriot. He was fighting. So he wanted to make sure his family and his property were kept safe and secure. And he just made all of these really very elaborate provisions. But thankfully he did because we got so much information about Moses from those documents. And I can just hear that. I mean, just the fact that you were able to 
to trace him and find him in all of these documents. And exactly where did you go again to find all of these documents? So there's the North Carolina State Archives. That was one. It's taken about 17 different repositories just to research probably about just a little over a third of his life story at this point. So there was the North Carolina State Archives. There was the Caswell County uh, material. There was material that we found in, in Pasquotank, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, found a lot, a lot of information there, too. Things were written up in local history books that I'm, I accessed either on archive.org or Google, mm-hmm. Google Books. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of information about the family. So again, the sources like that were really, really helpful. Uh, there was like a, there's also, I should remember this. There is a North Carolina resource that kind of indexes uh, African-Americans who were enslaved, things like deeds and, and pro. it's not the full document. It's not the mm-hmm. original document. It's not even a transcription. It's, it's just literally an index. Um, and we were able to find them in those indexes a few times. And how do you know that this was your Moses Williams? By that point, he'd started having children. So we saw Moses Williams Jr. with him and some of his other known oldest, oldest children. So we were always seeing them together. Where we're kind of frustrated is somewhere in there, there's Moses' mother. And this is something that I hadn't really come across terribly often in an enslaver's probate, specifically a will. So when Daniel died, Moses ended up going to his half-brother, James Henderson Williams. And when James died, there was a really interesting codicil that he added about three days before he died. And you almost mm-hmm. get the sense that James, James Henderson Williams was really kind of struggling with something or something was in the back of his mind and he just couldn't settle with himself. And he knew he was dying. And he wrote the sentence, he had deeded Moses to his son called David. And the mm-hmm. sentence goes, if for whatever reason Moses is unhappy with David, he could choose for himself who he would go to, which echoes wow. a provision in his father's will where his father, there were two elderly enslaved women, and we convinced that one of them is, is Moses' mother. And those mm-hmm. two elderly women also got to choose who they would go to when um, Daniel Williams died. They could choose for themselves who they would spend the rest of their days with. And I hadn't really and come across that. And could you tell that, that... – go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, is that, is that something that you've come across in your research? No, I haven't that they had a choice. I, I have not mm-hmm. found a choice listed. <laughs> so to your knowledge and based on your research, was he happy to stay with the son or did he go to someone else? Well, that was a big question because the paper trail, there's a, there was a 40-year gap. The we had done a beautiful job getting up to the death of Davis in 1838. He seems to have died, and he died in state, and we can't find an estate inventory for him for love nor money. One has to exist because you know that the records in Edgefield are almost pristine. They didn't lose right. you know, they, they didn't suffer being burnt during the Civil War. 
So that estate inventory exists somewhere. We just haven't been able to find it. And the next thing we know, he pops up in 1870. And this is Moses. He pops up in 1870 in Barnwell. And we just couldn't figure out how he got from Edgefield to Barnwell. Well, that has to do with his first wife, Miss Haygood. Her, she carries the, Hay, uh, the white Haygood DNA. And by the time of 1838-1839, a, a lot of the enslaving Haygoods had moved down to Barnwell. And that's where we find Moses. We've, we've actually found him mentioned in a probate record um, mm-hmm. amongst the Haygood family uh, down in Barnwell. And again, that's where he appears with Mariah Stallworth in 1870. Um, so there is a big gap. So it looks as though, and we again, uh, working on this with the group, it's, it's great to work as a group because if you stumble on something or you're not sure, you can just pick up the phone and have a group conversation with like three or four people going, let me, t- let me walk you through this and try to make sense out of this. So what so, was yeah. kind of... So tell me about the group, because you call this the Moses Williams Project. So who is in Mm -hmm. the group? So there's myself, there's Donnie Williams, who's also a descendant of Moses Williams. There's Actually, most of us are in the group. There's Loretta Bellamy, who's a descendant. Hamad Hamad Assad Settles, who's also a descendant. And also a, um, a white cousin of ours from Edgefield called Sharon Rowe who is related to us, not through the Williams, but through the Hendersons, who's kind of an, an allied family. So when I read that sentence that Moses could choose for himself who he went to, I assumed, and this is a good comment for genealogists, never make assumptions. I assumed he would have to pick another Williams family member. He didn't. He chose to go with his, his first wife and their children to her enslaver, down in Barnwell. Now, we're trying to find a deed that actually proves that that's what happened, but that's the only explanation to, to say that, well, in 1838, he's with Davis. Well, we're not even sure about that. He may have decided early on, well, I just don't want to stay with Davis. There's something about Davis. Clearly, Davis's father was worried about something. Maybe mm-hmm. he thought that um, Davis wouldn't treat his kind of uncle properly, um, or whatever, but clearly, you know, clearly Moses got to choose for himself. He did not choose to remain in the Williams family. He went to a completely different family, to a completely different part in South Carolina. Now, did you find any any supporting evidence that maybe he was in the Civil War, or what was happening during that period of time? He would have been too old okay. to fight, and considering um, he's still having children. I mean, he was having children up until he was 82 years old. <laughs> and like I said, the, the children that we have had found, they've been coming like clockwork literally almost every 18 months to two years, there's another child. So we, we very much think he was, he was down in Barnwell for that, for the, whole, for the whole duration of the Civil War. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And actually, so actually the, the some... Haygood... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and actually the the Haygoods are kind of fascinating because while I'm sure they supported the Confederacy, most, at least the ones that are within the family group that we're looking at didn't fight, and they could have. They were of age to do it, but they didn't. So we're not really Mm -hmm. sure what was going on there. 
So you mentioned the descendants, and because there were 45 children, how many descendants uh, have you identified? And tell us more about the DNA. We, and again, keeping in mind that we we barely found half of half of his children, we found in the region of I think it's 425 living descendants. Oh, um, wow. because. Not only did he provide his descendants with longevity, and I like to thank youthful looks, um, he also gave us some fertility because uh, the, known, the known children that we have for him pretty much are having double-digit kids too. So we're already thinking he had 45 kids if each one of those kids had 10 kids on average, and that's not an exaggeration for this family. It was very easy for all of them to have had 10. You're talking 450 people, and then if those if those those kids end up having their kid, you know, 10 kids each, that's 4,500 just right there. And Again, I'm is, just sitting here with my mouth hanging open, like what? <laughs> <laughs> Think about adding all of those people to a family tree. I tell you, the but the wow. part, the, the, mate, the boys were easy to find. We found all five of them because they, would, they all carried the Williams' last name. They're all living not too far from their father in 1870. They were really easy to do. It's the daughters who are difficult because so far all of them that we found, all of them were married. They were married, you know, deep in that, that slavery period. So basically, we were, you know, we have to look 40 women who will not carry the Williams' last name. They are spread out all over what's called the old 96 region of South Carolina, and I'll explain what that is to your listeners. So that's Edgefield County. I'm not going to name all of them because I can't remember all of them, but Edgefield, Greenwood, McCormick, Greenville, Abbeville, parts of Newberry, that whole area. And then there's a whole second group of kids that are down in Barnwell, Bamberg, and Orangeburg. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're just spread out. All over. Oh, and Sumter. I can't forget Sumter either. So they're just literally spread out all over the place. So were any of the descendants aware of their link to Moses Williams? Do you know out of all of those 400-plus people, only one person had vaguely heard that they had an ancestor that had had a crazy number of kids in Edgefield, and that's all that they knew. They didn't have a name, mm-hmm. nothing. And he kind of, he's one of those people in Edgefield that really links a lot of Edgefield families together just because he has so many kids. He has so many kids. Um, so he's kind of, a, in terms of that, you know, he's, he's one of those kind of forgotten, forgotten people. But um, I, I guess because Donnie and I have spoken so much about him over the years, um, people get really, ex- we get really excited text messages or emails going, I just found out I'm a Moses Williams descendant. We're like, hey, welcome <laughs> to the club. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so how do people even come to the point where they can say that to you, I just found out I'm a Moses Williams descendant? Well, thankfully, my tree, my genealogy adventures tree is a public tree. Donia's tree is a public tree. And uh, the other two, the, the other three members um, of the research group, their trees are also mm-hmm. public. 
you know, we all have the same information, we all have the same records, we all have the same deeds, all of that kind of stuff. So, because I, our trees have so many people on them, um, especially with this family group, and we've done such a good job in terms of researching his known children down to their living descendants, people just find it really easy. You know, they get a hint on ancestry, a little shaky leaf, and they click it and they see their ancestor's name. Mm-hmm. They go to one of our trees. Um, you know, nine and times then they work it all the way back to Moses Williams. Exactly. Or they'll send, you know, sometimes they'll send us a message on Ancestry going, um, oh, hey, I see that you've got my family on your tree, and, how, you know, how do we connect? And so do you all have family reunions, or how do you get together to just continue uh, this research and this dialogue about your family connections? Well, we have the um, – there is a family reunion. It happens once every – I think it's every other year. There was meant to be one this year, but because of COVID, it had to, unfortunately, it had to unfortunately be canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for the, for the first two uh, family, you know, family members who had done the research on, on Moses just kind of gave short presentations and, you know, kind of let everyone know. Um, and it was kind of funny because even though people may have known their direct route to Moses, they didn't realize that they were related to other families, other families that they could have grown up with. Or it's like, oh, I know the Gilchrist. My mom's friends with the Gilchrist. And Donnie and I will look mm-hmm. at them and we'll laugh. And it's like, yeah, that Gilchrist, she's going to be a relation. <laughs> That's your cousin. <laughs> You know what, it sounds like you're saying, well, everybody in, in Edgefield is related to everybody. <laughs> I think you and I have had conversations about that. Oh, you have my Alexanders on your tree? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the frustrating thing is, you know, that, like I may have Alexandras sitting on my tree, and they've probably been sitting there for years, and I still haven't, like I said, most of them are still sitting there as, relations through marriage mm-hmm. but there's always mm-hmm. that suggestion well it may be a little bit more than just marriage but because you know by that point you know you're dealing with an alexander who's born 1815 and enslaved mm-hmm. it's going to take some it's going to take some work to figure that out right right so what do you say to people that are really trying to connect the dots uh, beyond 1870 to really go back as far as you have gone back. Just share with those individuals some of the tips and lessons that you've learned just in finding Moses Williams. Mm-hmm. I guess the practice I've developed over the over the years is really thinking about the thinking of my ancestors and their family as living, breathing human beings who even, you know, even in enslavement left maybe imprecise footprints or barely let visible footprints. But because they, I hate saying this, but it, is, it, it was what it was. It is what it is. Because they were property and they had a value, they were documented. So they may not have birth certificates and death certificates and marriage certificates like other people had, they should have, you know, their enslaver if the records haven't been burnt or lost or destroyed. At the very least, there should be probate records, so a will, 
be um, an estate inventory. When two enslaving families, re, you know, united through marriage, meaning, you know, a husband was coming from an enslaving family and the wife was coming from an enslaving family, if you can find a dowry agreement, which is normally kept um, at the county court level, you may find them in a state archive or a specialist university archive, part of her dowry, if she came from an enslaving family, would have been enslaved people, which were her property. Um, and again, sometimes you see lawsuits about this because people kind of forget, oh, yeah, those were actually enslaved by, you know, they, they, mom was actually their enslaver and not dad. And there's always separate provisions made for them. Uh, court cases where you have property, you have heirs suing each other over property. And I've seen court cases as petty as daddy, daddy gave my brother one more enslaved person than he gave me. And I don't mm -hmm. think that's fair. So I'm suing mm -hmm. everybody. Kind of a thing. When you get those kind of court cases, enslaved people are named. And if you're less than fortunate, sometimes those family relationships are actually detailed in those court documents. So you'll see something like V.C. with her children, Sam, John, Ellen, and Martha. So then all of a sudden, you know, five or six names that just were listed individually in the state inventory now make sense. Oh, I've got a whole family group here. So court cases, and again, those are always usually held at the county court level if you're looking for those kind of records. Uh, other and sources, like I said, that have been... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying one of the the values that you have already mentioned is the fact that Edgefield was one of the locations for you and the fact that their records are in pristine condition. And mm -hmm. so how much time did you spend just looking at the records in Edgefield before you jumped to Barnwell? I have still yet to go. Again, COVID couldn't have, I mean, there's never a good time for COVID to happen. I'll just say that. I was two weeks away from going, literally going down to Edgefield to go to the Tompkins Library um, mm -hmm. to do some research and then couldn't because I, I just did that. Even though we weren't being told not to travel, I just didn't feel comfortable traveling. So I've, I've just had to put the whole South Carolina going down there to Edgefield on, on hold. Um, until it's until I feel it's safer to to travel, um, but that is Certainly. very much on the cards. Thankfully, um, I have cousins that um, I'm in touch with regularly who live either in Edgefield or just outside of Edgefield, and they're always have all I have to do is ask, pay them some petrol money. Oh, sorry, an American now, pay them some gasoline money, and um, <laughs> they'll just they'll they'll just motor into Edgefield to go to the the Tompkins Library and they'll they'll do a lookup for me. I um, mean, they'll take a take a picture of whatever documents um, they're using. And what about the South Carolina archives? Have Have you even checked the archives online and ordered any records? Not ordered, but a brilliant, brilliant resource. The I have contacted the South Carolina Library and the Historical Society about another research project. And I can tell mm -hmm. you all, they're so helpful. Um, they're just very, very helpful people. 
Um, so I give them all, all, you know, all of those kind of organizations down in South Carolina a huge thumbs up. The bar, but you do raise them an interesting one. FamilySearch.org has an amazing record set. And some of them you can get on Ancestry, but like uh, the Freedman's Bank records, that was another source of information that we got a lot um, where we found some of Moses' kids uh, and find out even though he didn't have one, some of his kids did uh-huh. and his grandkids did. They were filled with a wealth of information because they named other siblings. If, you know, if their sisters had gotten married, they put their sister's married name down, where they were living, just a wealth of information. But what cracked Barnwell for us, there was a South Carolina state and territorial census for 1869, and that's where we first found Moses in Barnwell. And it's telling us that he was there with his wife, who would have been Mariah Stallworth, and, he's, and five of his daughters are still living in the household with them. So we don't have their names. Unfortunately, the 1869 state and territorial census for South Carolina is kind of like those 1820, 1830, 1840 U.S. federal census. You get the head of household and just numbers that represent the other individuals. So if you know the head of household and you know who you're looking for and you're doing your research in South Carolina, FamilySearch.org, the South Carolina State and Territorial Census, um, invaluable. That was just an awesome resource. But even better, we found the missing estate inventory for their last enslaver, James Haygood. And that on Family Search is in a record set called South Carolina Probate Records Bound Volumes, sorry, Bound Volumes, 1671 to 1977. And they're all broken down by county. I will add this caveat. It's not like Ancestry where you can type in a name and you're going to pull up a record. For the territorial, the state territorial census and the South Carolina probate records bound volume, you have to scroll through the images which can be time-consuming, but it pays dividends. It, they, they really do. Yes, it is definitely worth it, even though they haven't been indexed. And I'm glad that mm-hmm. you mentioned that, that record group because they are very valuable. I've, I've looked at them myself. So we're getting close to the end. Do you have any additional information you would like to share on the Moses Williams Project? And specifically, How can individuals connect with you just in case they may have found your tree and feel that they are also descendants of Moses Williams? So first, so uh, Genealogy Adventures uh, has, we're doing um, a project called the Moses Williams Project with Howard University's uh, genetics team. So we have compiled in the region of almost 200 DNA samples, which their genetic, uh, genetics department is sequencing for us. So they're getting something out of it, and we're getting something out of it. Um, and people from Edgefield are getting something out of it. So they want to do a health study um, based on people's DNA coming from what we, would consider, what we would call the old 96 region. And that's not limited to just people of color. That, that's Native, whether you have Native American ancestry from there, European ancestry, or Black ancestry, or a mixture of anything else, um, people 
have kindly submitted their DNA. You know, you have to do the whole thing of giving us permission to be able to study it and include it in the study. Um, it's taken a lot longer for us to, to kind of get to the point where we are at the moment, but we're just very thankful to be working with, with Howard University on this. And when the study is done, we'll be publishing the findings. Now, what we're getting out of it is we were kind of joking about it. We, everyone from Edgefield kind of jokes everyone's related to everyone else, and it doesn't even matter what your race or ethnicity is. And that's one of the goals of the study is to prove that that is correct or not correct. Um, we're, kind of, we're still waiting with bated breath on that one. Mm-hmm. And if you want to find out more about it, if you'd like to visit genealogyadventures.net, that's all one word, genealogyadventures.net. Uh, in a little search box, just pull up, just type in Moses Williams, and you'll get the, the project information there. Um, and that also has my contact details, like my email address. It has Donya's email address. And we'd love to hear from you, especially if you think, you know, especially if you know that you have roots from Edgefield and you'd be interested in, in contributing to furthering that understanding of DNA inheritance from that region. And are you still collecting DNA, or have they moved into the analysis phase? We are still uh, collecting. So we had a bit of a snafu that kind of postponed everything for almost a year. So we're we're quickly ramping up to make up for lost time. Um, And we also just finished raising funds to be able to buy DNA tests to give people for free should they, you know, should that have to be, should that be an option? Because, you know, we appreciate mm-hmm. not everyone can afford to buy a DNA. You know, if you can afford to buy one, that's great. If you've already taken a DNA test, all you have to do is download your result, the, the raw data, and send that into us, and we forward that on to, to Howard. Um, but, again, you know, you have to give us permission to do that. Um, yeah, and that, that's, that's pretty much it. And is uh, uh, your DNA a requirement to become a part of the uh, project, or can they just come in with their family trees and share the family trees? Uh, it's DNA, DNA only at the moment. DNA only, okay. Uh, okay. DNA only. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks for clarifying that. So do you have any parting words before we close out today? Um, enjoy your genealogy. As I always like to say, enjoy your genealogy adventures because every day is something different. I, I may have the most carefully laid out plan of this is what I want to achieve today and I can pull up one record and it will just derail even my best plans and just take me on an unexpected journey. It's what I love about genealogy. Um, it, you just never know what's going to happen from day to day. Um, and I'll, oh, boy. I'll just... <laughs> Just be patient. I'm a big believer that the ancestors will tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. Um, I have tried forcing them. You know, you get a brick wall and you just dedicate yourself to throwing everything at breaking that brick wall. I'm a big believer when that particular ancestor wants you to know the next stage of their life story, they will tell you. They will prompt you. All of a sudden, you will find a magical record or a book or a sentence in a book that just opens everything up for you. Funnily enough, almost so I we guess Moses Williams we... wanted you to find him when when Danya <laughs> or you found that newspaper article, right? 
Oh, it's like he told Donnie, listen, I may not be the father of Edgefield, but I'm one of the fathers of Edgefield. <laughs> and um, we also believe that when he died in 1884, he was South Carolina's last living link to the Revolutionary War. Wow. So wow. He's, um, he's a special one. He's, he's an ancestor that's in my, all of my ancestors are in my heart, but he's a special one. He's a special one. Well, thank you so much for coming on today to share with us your research on Moses Williams. And for those of you that may be connecting to Moses Williams through your paper trail, please contact Brian of Genealogy Adventures so that you can become involved in this project, even get on the call with him and talk about it. Because the research is still going on, it has not stopped, and so this is an opportunity for you, all of you descendants, to become a part of this huge family project. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining the show today. And everyone else, remember your ancestors left footprints, and you should follow the footprints and find what you're looking for. Also, I want everybody to check out the show on Monday. I'm going to be on My Heritage Live talking about Without a Hint, There Is No Story. And check out my book, Tracing Their Steps, a Memoir. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Thank you, Brian. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much. 